Welcome to another episode of Million Dollar Stories. Today, I have a special guest who is a major, major Alabama fan, and you guys are going to be in for a real treat. She became a bestseller approximately a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. Her name is Pam Greenberg. She is currently a certified hypnotherapist who graduated from the Hypnosis Motivation Institute in Tarzana, California, the nation's only accredited college of hypnotherapy. Pam was under the supervision of staff instructors holding teaching credentials from the State Department of Education. Prior to attending the Hypnosis Motivation Institute, Pam achieved a bachelor's in communications from the University of Alabama. The book she put out is called Roll On to Victory, and uh, I want to welcome her now. Thanks so much for being here, Pam. I'm so excited to be here. We uh we had a, a, an adventure with your book. You are now an Amazon bestseller. You're out there. You're probably getting a lot of attention. You are already featured in the news prior to the book coming out. How has your life changed since the book came out? It's been a whirlwind. I mean, an absolute whirlwind. I mean, the feedback I'm getting is just incredible. And I think I had told you when when we started this journey that you had asked me what I wanted to accomplish. And my my feeling was, if I can help one person who's struggling with something and they read my words and it helps them, to me, that's a win. And so far, it's it's beyond my expectations. <laughs> I think you sent me a screenshot of one review, right, in the first couple days of the book launching. And it was exactly what you just said. It changed her life and it gave her a positive outlook on some things. And that's what you do on a daily basis, right? Explain a little bit about your practice. Well, I mean, it's it's hypnotherapy. It's it's vocational, advocational self-help. Basically, people come for, there's about 145 different things you can come and, and get help with, but it's about making positive changes in your life, whether it's to quit smoking or to lose weight or to um, be better at whatever sports you play or fears, phobias, anxiety, stress, just relaxation. You know, people come into my office, they have a tool belt but they have absolutely no tools. So they come in my office and we talk and we do hypnosis and I give them tools. Sometimes it's something just as easy as just learning how to breathe. You know, everybody thinks they breathe, but seriously, you got to breathe a different way, you know, but the unfortunate thing is people usually come to me as a last resort because they've tried everything else. I, you know, so now I'm going to try this, you know, so I'm trying to get the word out that, you know, hypnotherapy is something maybe you should try first because, you know, I work with the subconscious. This is going back, you know, from from birth or if you believe in reincarnation, past lives. You know, the, your cell memory travels on and on and on. So, you know, I mean, it's just it really is. It's about just deciding what it is that you want, you know, because that's the major component. You got to want it. You know, I can have people that come for, for smoking cessation and they'll give me every reason in the world why everybody else wants them to quit. And I say, okay, but you've been smoking for 30 years. What what light bulb went off today? Oh, well, my wife is nagging me. Okay, come back when you have a good reason. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's not going to work. <laughs> so is it a common trend that people usually come to you whenever, like you said, it's a last resort, but also there's something that happened in their life where it's a do or die, they need to make a change. And therefore they're willing to put it all on the line to, you know, trust in this practice. Is that what it is? Right. Well, I mean, you have the, the, the number one thing is you got to want to make the change. The second thing is you got to be open and willing to try something new. 
you know, like I said, I mean, an example could be, you know, being in a stroller when you're nine months old, a dog comes up and, and growls at you and nips at you and you cry. Consciously, you don't remember that you're nine months old. But fast forward, you know, maybe 12 years and you're standing somewhere and a dog comes approaching you and you have this sudden fear and you don't, oh my gosh, you know, it's going to bite me. Oh, oh my God. And you're just terrified. Well, it comes from being nine months old, even though you don't remember it. Your subconscious mind is formed from the time you're born till you're about eight years old. You take in everything. You don't question anything. You don't have the capacity. You don't have logic or rationalization. So you're taking in everything. You may have an association to hating broccoli when you've never even tasted broccoli. But when you were three, mom said, oh, I don't make broccoli in the house. It stinks it up. Therefore, I don't like broccoli. So, you know, you can change your associations. You just have to figure out what it was. You know, I mean, a lot of people smoking relieves stress. But when you want to quit, you send the message down and the subconscious mind doesn't let anything in that it doesn't already know. So here you are, you're older, your mom smoked when, she, when you were young. And here you are as an adult and you're stressed out. So the first thing you're probably going to do is grab a cigarette because your subconscious mind knows that smoking relieves stress. Fast forward another 10 years and you go, why am I doing this? I don't want to smoke. You know, you have every reason in the world to quit, but you can't quit. You can send that message down and you can quit for a little bit and then maybe you're going to start back up again or you just can't quit. But by changing the association coming in, we get the body, mind, emotions, everything's into a relaxed state so we can penetrate into that subconscious mind. And maybe we've talked about it. And maybe we've decided that mindful breathing can relieve your stress because if you sit at a desk, I mean, you can't go for a run. You can't go punch a bag. You can't go to the gym. You got to do something while you're sitting. So mindful breathing, because basically, you know, you have a pen, it's the same thing, except for there's no nicotine. So by being able to go in and change that association, we get rid of that old association. And anytime you get rid of an old association, you got to re replace it. So we're replacing smoking relieves my stress with mindful breathing relieves my stress. And then you can quit smoking. So I heard somebody tell me recently, you know, I'm like, you're 38 years old. But you're really not just 38, you're actually 27, you're 24, you're 17, all at the same time. And when something happens to you in your life, you will revert back to maybe the lowest common denominator of who you really are, right? So it's almost like what you're saying, that if something happens to somebody and maybe they have that need for, for smoking, they revert back to when it all began. When, when, when was it that that started to become accepted in their life and uh I, when he said that to me i was so blown away i'm like oh that's why it's so difficult for people to break away because unless you have this inner child work where you go back to that moment in time and solve it then in your mind and then you can only go forward from there so that's what it is it's inner child work right in a way yeah i mean it's just you don't consciously remember all these things but your subconscious remembers everything it's there. It's present. You know, things that go into the subconscious mind at some point become automatic. You know, I tell my clients all the time, you know, if I, I've done a, a day of, of hypnosis, you know, and I've seen five, six people, you know, I go home and I drive and I have to sit there and think, how the heck did I get home? <laughs> and it's not that it's dangerous. It's just that my subconscious mind takes over. You know, it, it kind of sucks when I want to go to the store and I find myself at home and I go, oh, you know, because my mind is so used to going, you know, it's going from work to home. 
that when I have some place to go, I have to like literally tell myself, okay, you're stopping at the store. You're stopping at the store because the subconscious mind makes things automatic. It's kind of like a, a baby learning to walk. You know, they have to learn motor skills. They have to learn to put one foot in front of the other. They have to learn balance. Mom and dad take their hands and walk them forward. And then they start to take steps and they fall. And they're going to do that for a little while. But fast forward a year, they get out of a chair and they just walk. They don't have to think about it. It's automatic. So the things in your subconscious mind become automatic. So you want to have those associations that are positive, that serve a purpose for you you know, that, that you want. And it, you know, like I said, you know, if you believe it, you can achieve it, you know? So believing in yourself is a, is a huge thing, you know, that whole self-esteem issue. And unfortunately, most of us are programmed and I use the word programmed, but negatively, you know, the whole, um, you know, money doesn't grow on trees. You know, you grow up and you're, you're thinking, well, I can't be successful you know, just different associations. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy of good things, you know? And it's like, you have to kind of go in and reverse that stuff. But, Mm -hmm. you know, even though you may come from a very loving family, a very supportive family, but you can still get that association of, you know, I'm not good enough. I didn't, you know, I got to be on that test and, and he got an A. I'm not good enough. I didn't do good enough. And we so, get a, a lot of this self-talk from our environment, right? So uh, maybe if you grew up in a certain household, how they thought about money, you have, have adopted those principles and therefore you need to shake that out of your system. And and what's the average time frame for someone to go to hypnotherapy for them to really start to make some big moves in their life? And And the other question on that is, is there a certain common denominator when it comes to, is it just a confidence issue? Is it just a glass ceiling issue? Is it a weight issue? Is it a vice issue? Well, I mean, you know, as far as the first question, you know, as far as how long does it take? You know, I always tell my clients, you do the work, you're going to see results. You know, if I give you stuff to do, whether it's something as simple as taking three deep breaths when you go to sleep at night and breathing in calm, relaxed, or whatever good thing it is that you want that positive, breathe it in see it. If you're visual, take yourself to that place where nobody wants anything, nobody needs anything, and you are just happy and content. You know, if you do that and you breathe it in, you know, I I always say at least three cycles, you know, you do that breathing. It's the last thing that goes into your subconscious mind when you go to sleep. So your subconscious mind can wrap around that all night long. Then when you wake up in the morning, do the same thing. Open your eyes. Think it's a beautiful day. Close your eyes and do that breathing again, because then you're setting your day. You're setting the tone as calm and relaxed. So when you're calm and relaxed, you don't feel stressed, tense, anxious, fearful. You know, you don't have that. You can't feel two opposing emotions. So why not start your day calm and relaxed? You know, so, you know, I mean, I always tell people also that, it, you know, as far as I'm the way I see it is. We're made up of of three essential things. This block of marble, which is your self-esteem, with the two pillars that are drilled in there. One is confidence and one is motivation. 
what happens is, you know, in, in your youth, you know, if somebody's beating you down or you're beating yourself down, which is usually more the case of I'm not good enough, or, you know, he's smart, you're, you're not, you know, or you could do better, you know, it beats down on that self-esteem, that stuff, self-esteem starts to become like jello. And those two pillars are just flaying all over the place. So if you don't believe in yourself, you're not going to have the confidence to make that positive change. And if you don't have the confidence, how motivated are you going to be? Probably not so much. So it's about building up all three, which I do in every session, whether you come in for smoking, fears, sports, weight loss, it it doesn't matter. There's a buildup of all three, because in my opinion, who doesn't need more? Hmm. I like how you said you need to start today on the right foot. I will tell you in the most stressful days of my life, 2017, I realized this hack and I didn't know where I picked it up from, but, uh, you know, how you go to bed is pretty much how you wake up, right? So I realized that I got the best out of me during the hardest days of my life if I started off looking forward to the first hour of the day. And the only way I was able to do that was, you ready for this? I would make sure I watched two episodes of Married with Children, (laughs) the show Married with Children. So I would wake up, I believe it was either 5 a.m. or 6 a.m., one of the two. And I would watch two episodes to put myself in a very good state of mind to go into work because I would work pretty much for 12 to 15 hours straight. So starting off on the right foot in a positive mood really was a game changer. All right, let's let's switch gears here for a second. The defining moment in your life was a near-death experience. And you talk about this in your book. You were not always the hypnotherapist. You were not always in this world. It did take something crazy in your life for you to, to understand the power of uh, the subconscious. So Tell me about that journey. What was that day like? And your dog, I believe, saved you. Is that right? Yeah, Hershey the Wonder Dog. Um, yeah, I, I was actually in my residency for hypnotherapy and um, had come home and he wanted to go outside. And I was trying to take him to the side of the house because he used to pee right by the sliding glass door and it used to irritate me. So I would take him to the side of the house. Started feeling really kind of weird. I felt my hand jerk once. And thought I'm going to pass out. I felt like I was going to faint. I was trying to think, did I eat today? Did I, you know, I didn't know what was going on. And I was texting my daughter. So I knew what time it was. It was three Oh four in the afternoon on April 30th of 2017. And I was texting her to find out what time she'd be home. And I thought, Oh, I better sit down. And that's the last thing that I remember. Next thing I know is Hershey's on top of me and there was drool and he had bitten holes in my shirt. And I was like, you know, get off of me. And I thought it had just been like a couple of seconds. And I picked up my phone to see if my daughter had answered me, realized I'd never hit send and realized it had been 27 minutes and thought, okay, this is not good. And he pushed me. I mean, he's a little cocker spaniel and he pushed me and I got up, I walked inside my daughter, he gotten home and she looked at me and she says, what's wrong with you? I said, I'm not sure. I said, I think I might've just had a stroke. And I said, but I'm going to go lay down. And she's like, uh, no. <laughs> and of course, she called my dad who told her, call 911. So they took me in the ambulance. That's the last thing I remember, really. I mean, I, I know I was at the hospital, but um, had a neurosurgeon who was wonderful, Dr. Gill. And he, you know, did a bunch of scans and tests, found out I had six lesions on my brain. And, you know, the first doctor came in with this really ugly yellow purse. That's all I really remember about her. She was an oncologist, told me I had lymphoma. And I was like, but I had a barbecue yesterday. I was fine. I was like, I I had people over. Everything was good. 
Then the neurosurgeon comes in and says, no, I don't think you have lymphoma. Then another doctor, you have MS. So then they decided to redo the MRI. Dr. Gill took me down, opened my, my head, um, did brain surgery, did a biopsy, sent it off to a doctor in at UC Irvine, UCLA, a bunch of different places. And the doctor at UC Irvine came back and said, oh my gosh, she's got, and it was like, I think 10 words, but basically came out to be uh, primary angiitis, central nervous system. Um, very, very rare autoimmune. He says, you got to start her on 65 milligrams of prednisone and she's going to have to go through chemo. So I'm hearing chemo and I'm going, so it's cancer. And yeah, it was just really confusing. I mean, and I kept telling them all along while I was in the hospital, I'm leaving Thursday. My daughter's graduating from Kentucky grad school and I'm going. And they kept telling me, yeah, 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 you're going. Well, I think they opened my head on Wednesday and, you know, it was pretty obvious I wasn't going, but I got out of the hospital and was in a wheelchair, couldn't walk, couldn't use my arms, couldn't, I, it was just the strangest thing. And I was like, this is so weird. I had a barbecue before all this happened. There was, you know, they kept asking, do you have a headache? Did you have a headache? Do you have ringing in your ears? And I was like, no, everything was good. So I ended up going through two rounds of, of chemo in California, which is where it happened. And, um, did a couple of MRIs. And, you know, three weeks after I got out of the hospital, I came with my older daughter, we came to Charleston, and I was like, I'm moving. And everybody's like, I think you need to finish your treatment. I was like, No, if I stay in California, I know I'll, I'll die, I'll be dead. And met my realtor found a house came back, put my house on the market, they closed within two days, I moved August 4th of 2017, an MRI right before I left, which showed that the largest lesion had shrunk by half. And they were like, this is good. This is good. They had me set up at MUSC, saw my doctors. And by the time I went for my, my MRI in October, I was with my brother. He came and stayed with me because I couldn't obviously live by myself. And, you know, my family kind of took turns, <laughs> to take turns taking care of Pam and went for my MRI and went up with my brother and Dr. Lindhorst was, you know, kind of puzzled looking, looking at my MRI. And he says, he's showing it to me. And I said to me, it looks like an avocado. I don't, I don't see anything. So he showed me the scan from when it happened to, to that scan. He says, the lesions, they're gone. And I said, they're gone. I'm like, what do you mean they're gone? He goes, they're not tumors. They don't grow. They shrink. He said, it doesn't mean that they can't come back. You know, they don't know what causes it. And he, that's when he told me that I was the fourth survival case. Oh. And I was blown away. And I was like, what do you mean the fourth survival case? What happened to the other people? And he said, um, basically, they have that seizure. They go into a coma and they don't come out. Or if they do, they come out kind of in a vegetative state. So he said, your dog literally saved your life. And I was like, wow, he, he's steak, whatever he wants. He's, he, he's king. He's king. He, he's, he's whatever you want from here on out. It's all yours. But, you know, I mean, I had to graduate. You know, I, I did, you know, I set goals for myself. You know, once I got to South Carolina, I got into some intense physical therapy. So I went from the wheelchair to a walker to a cane, you know, to where I could finally, you know, walk on my own and I could drive and could live on my own. And, you know, I just kept setting up goals, you know, like here we have the Ravenel Bridge, which is, you know, 5.4 miles, you know, from one end to the other, you know, and back. And that was my goal. I'm going to walk that bridge. And I did it in stages. But by February of 2018, I walked the whole thing. And then I just kept setting up different goals, you know, thinking forward, got it, you know, just, you know, I think 
positive mindset. You know, I was going to, I'm going to paddleboard. I want to paddleboard. I've always wanted to do that. I'm going to paddleboard, you know, so I did that and it's a lot of core strength. So I worked with a trainer to get that strength to get, you know, and then it was like, I'm going to do cycle bar and I'm going to do this and I'm, you know, just kickboxing and I'm, I'm going to just, I'm going to do it all. And, you know, since that day, I've not had one lesion. So, you know, I'm pretty sure that the thought now is that it is stress related. So, you know, I said I'm in a great occupation to keep that stress level down and help other people do the same. Wow. Yeah, I I heard uh, stories about Michael J. Fox in, uh, what was it, 19, I think it was 89, or no, it might have been 85 is whenever he, he filmed the movie. But um, all of the stress and lack of sleep and all that is potentially what led to Parkinson's. And I always think about stories like that because – when life gets crazy and stressful, yeah, you can battle right through it and deal with the stress, but you don't know the long-term effects of it. And so now you manage it probably way more properly. And uh, and and is this whenever you started to become a student of the hypno uh, hypnosis world? Yeah, when it happened to me, I was I was actually in my residency. You know, I became went into hypnotherapy school because of a psychic. I found a psychic who told me that's what I needed to do, gave me a card. And I was like, she's crazy. You know, and I went home and I thought, I'm pretty sure I threw it away. But <laughs> three weeks later, it showed, book, up on yeah. my, it showed up on my counter. And I thought, how did that get there? You know, and I was like, okay, that's a sign from the universe. If I've ever had one, I called, I set up a tour. I went and I signed up that day. I was like, she is so right. And started classes that next month. You know, it just was that fast, that spontaneous to to think, oh my gosh, this is this is what I need to do. You know, and it's just been a ever since an incredible journey. And I mean, I love I mean, I'm I'm one of the fortunate people that can wake up in the morning and say, I love what I do. That's the way to do it, right? There's no yeah. other option in life now. Once you realize that if you get to go somewhere and do something that you love for the rest of your life. I mean, it's almost like I found the key. All right. This is it. I got it. You know, and how fortunate are you to have that? And most people will never, ever find that, it seems like. So that's beautiful. And you probably get to change people's lives day in and day out. So you share your story, you share your journey, um, and then they probably are inspired, but also now believe in 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 the actual practice because you weren't always this person, right? It took a lot to get to where you're at now. Yeah. Uh, it did, I, it, you know, and I said, you know, it's one of the the chapters in my book is, you know, discovering that passion, figure out what it is that you are passionate about. Sometimes we just don't know, but sometimes it just comes to you at, at, at a weird time. I mean, I said for five years, I've been hearing people say, why haven't you written a book when they hear my story about my dog? And, you know, and at first I was like, what would I write that anybody would want to read? You know, I was like, what? You're crazy. You know, if you had asked me, you know, even two years ago, if I would be a best-selling author, I would have laughed in your face. But, you know, it took, you know, having coffee with a friend of mine, um, I think it was back in October, and he was asking me about hypnotherapy and how it worked and, you know, said, why haven't you written a book? And I thought, you know, I think I'm ready. <laughs> I think I'm ready. And then I met you. And here it is. Roll on to victory, guys. Look it up on Amazon. It is what it takes to break free from what's holding you back to start living life on your terms. And so 
uh, you are a major, major football fan. All right. And uh, what you just said before is that hypnotherapy is awesome for people in the athletic world, right? So self-limiting beliefs, right? Their, their own potential, potentially that's in a box somewhere that you might be able to set free. Your dream is to help Alabama football maybe unlock some potential. Is that right? Football, golf, baseball. I mean, you know, they got so many national champions, you know, that, that most people would think, well, they don't need it. But you know what? It's when you when you really start to get it, that's when you need to continue it. You know, it's like, you know, athletes are the worst at getting in their heads. You know, they get in their heads so bad. You know, I could go to a, a group of, of even just high school uh, football players and say, who here thinks that they can be a starter? Raise your hand and you'll get just a handful. You know, <laughs> oh, that no way. They will raise their hand and, and then usually they are the starters. And I say, you know, put your hands down and let's see the rest of you put your hands up. Point to one of them and say, why can't you be a starter? Well, what's wrong? What, what's wrong with you that you can't be a starter? And they look and I say, well, you know, he's a lot. You know, I'm a wide receiver and he's a lot bigger, and a lot taller than me. And I can throw right out at him because, you know, I know my Alabama football, Devontae Smith, he's he's the slim reaper. He was the tiniest guy and he's playing for the Philadelphia Eagles now. And he is a star, you know, and now I've got another one to add to my to my to my list. You know, Bryce Young, number one draft pick in the NFL quarterback for Alabama. They kept saying he's too small. He's too small. You know, he's going to make the Panthers a whole new team. You know, so it's like building that confidence and having them believe in themselves, because if you don't believe you can do it, you can't. Damn That's right. why people come in my office. I can. I will. I do. There's that. I can't. I won't. I don't. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. It's that self-talk. It all begins there simply right. because your self-talk is being expressed in your body language, in your tonality, in your actions. Right. If, and I always thought this, maybe this is perfect for business and entrepreneurs out there. Most of our audience are entrepreneurs. I was saying we're the number one book creation service, not for the world, but for internal issues. Right. I want the, the team to know when we deal with a client, we're the best. Right. I want you to feel it. I want you to think it because that's how you're going to show up in every email, in every correspondence, and every time you talk to a client. So the moment you start to shift, that dialogue, that's whenever it really comes to life out in the open. Is that right? Yeah. It, you know, I always call it shifting your intentions. You know, if something's not working for you, find something that is and focus on that for a little while. And what you'll find is that thing that wasn't working for you, all of a sudden is going to start working for you. You know, it's like sometimes you, you know, you focus on something so intently and you want it so badly, but you're, you're focusing on the wrong aspect, you know, broaden it, you know, start simple, you know, and build on it. Cause once you start to build on it, it you start to see results. And once you start to see results, even the tiniest of results, you start going, Oh, well, this is working, you know, and you, and you have that self-belief. And you set those expectations and you make those goals. You know, you know, I, I always tell people one of the greatest things I've done, you know, and, and just recently was, you know, I did a, a workshop with with Tony, you know, doing vision boards. 
And I said, you know, those are the greatest things. I look at my vision board every day and it's like, I'm crossing things off. You know, that happened, that happened, you know, and it's just the littlest things. And it's just the most amazing. It was, it was just the most empowering kind of feeling. And I think when we start to feel empowered and confident and motivated, you know, whether it's in business or sports or just your personal life, things start to happen. You know, I, I wrote a book. <laughs> Check. It's surreal. <laughs> You're talking about Tony Vanschoik, correct? Yeah. Yes. Tony Vanschoik, another powerhouse entrepreneur, has the mindset of a uh, a real businesswoman, and she really does make the dreams come to life. So look her up, Tony Vanschoik. That's how we know each other. Yes. So um, I work with a lot of entrepreneurs who are you know, not ready to write a book, you know, and the thing that's holding them back for the most part is this thing called imposter syndrome. Is there anything that you can do on this call right now or a practice that you could maybe provide to me and the audience that will help others get over that imposter syndrome? You know, again, it goes back to if you believe it, you can achieve it. It's a, it's all a self-esteem thing. You know, you, you think you're an imposter. It's not really happening. I can't do that. Again, you're going with that language. You got to start using that positive language. I can do it. And if it's something that you, it's really hard and I, I don't think I can do it. I am willing to try to do it. You know, I had a client just yesterday that, you know, we were talking about, you know, trying to quit one habit and starting another one. And he likes to write. He likes to write music. You know, he, he's, you know, a musician at heart. You know, he he's, does real estate or something else, you know, but he said he, you know, for him to change the habit, I said, start small. When you start to go to that place that you don't want to be at, that negativity place, that anger place, you don't have to write a song, come up with a title or just a lyric, you know, and build on it, build on it and keep building on it. Every time I said, before you know it, you're going to have an entire song. You know, I said, but you got to start small and you just got to believe that you can do it. And like I said, you can do anything you put your mind to. You just got to put your mind in the right place. You know, which is a lot of, you know, what I help people with. You probably see a lot of people who hit their ground zero moments, right? And Carl Jung and Frederick Nietzsche talk about ground zero moments could be the greatest thing that could ever happen to you. It's the chance for you to rebuild your life the right way, your way. It's what happened to me. So I love talking about my ground zero moments because it was the, it was whenever my old life, everything just started to become stripped away, right? My Certain people in my life, certain beliefs, um, weaknesses, all kind of shed away but I had nothing, but that's a beautiful place to be because then you can rebuild yourself the right way. Have you noticed a trend that people at their lowest is actually, you know, the greatest next chapter of their life where they can go, they can move wherever they can start to date, whoever they can go into a career that they really want to. Have you noticed anything in regards to ground zero moments that you can share with us? Yeah. I mean, you got to go through the bad to get to the good. You know, and it's when you hit that that place where you think it can't get any worse, you know, it just can't get any worse, you know, that you start to think, okay, time to pull myself out, you know, and when you start to pull yourself out, that's when you start to 
realize your passion, your vision. You know, you see the compassion, you see the empowerment, you, you, you start to forgive yourself, you know, because forgiveness is a huge thing. And it, when I say forgiving, it's not condoning. It's releasing all that negativity that you're holding on to. So when you start releasing it, you start feeling good about yourself. And again, we get back to that whole issue of self-esteem, confidence, and motivation. So being at your lowest low, you know, and you can look at it and say, okay, you know, I realize you got to go through the bad to get to the good. That's the first step. Okay, so I'm in the bad. I'm going to I'm going to shift. I'm going to shift over to the good and I'm going to figure out what it is number 1 that makes me happy, what brings me joy, and what is going to serve a purpose in my life? Because if you ask those questions and the answer is no, it's simple. Walk away. Do something else. You know, it's things have got to bring you happiness, joy and serve a purpose. Hmm. It's when they don't that you start to get into that low. You start to get into that ground zero because you're not happy. Yeah. So happiness is is key. In your book, you talk about defining your own happiness. And Dr. Jordan Peterson, uh, you, are you a fan of Dr. Jordan Peterson? Do we talk about him? No. Okay, so Dr. Jordan. I'm not a fan, but I, I don't. I we didn't talk about him. Uh, but clinical <laughs> psychologist uh, that's out there. He's he's on some of the biggest stages, and he always talks about happiness is the realization that you are making progress towards a goal. And, uh, you know, there are people out there who make a million dollars a year, a million dollars a year, a million dollars a year. And then one year they make $700,000. They're actually less happy than a person who's going from a hundred thousand to 200,000 to 300,000. Right? So the money is really not significant. It's the, it's the realization that you're on the right track to obtaining a goal. And so I take that and apply it to life. I'm like, well, what's the rush? What's the rush to make a billion dollars? Can't you enjoy the process of every step of the way? Once you take away that whole rush to do something and you just enjoy it, I don't know what it is, but everything starts to fall into place the right way. So that's significant. And then uh, you also talk about, and it made me think about you in this recent interview with a client. He talks about building the perfect average day, not the perfect like life. The perfect average day. And in chapter six, I believe you talk about building a perfect day. Can you talk a little bit about this significant piece in this chapter? Because I love the fact that we have the ability to build our schedule around the perfect day. And the moment we start to realize we have that control is whenever we build the business around our life rather than our life around our business. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, building the perfect day. I mean, it's so different for everybody. You know, for me, you know, it's being able to get up, sit on my porch, drink my coffee, talk to the same red bird that comes to my bush right outside my porch every morning, have a conversation, be able to sit on the couch, you know, inside with with my two cats because I am a dog person, <laughs> you know, and 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 just and just exist and, and just be in the moment. Because when we get in the moment, you know, you have a moment and then it's gone. So why not enjoy every single moment? Because when you stop and you start going into that what if and that you're going into the future and that's no place to be. You know, when you you talk about things that happened before, you're in the past. You know, that's done. 
<laughs> so we've got today, we've got this moment and then it's gone. You know, I mean, I, I tell people all the time, I could sit and stress for 10 minutes because I heard, you know, a, a perfect example was when it was turning 2000, Y2K. Everybody was freaked out. Oh my God, the world's going to end. You know, and people were stressed out for months because it was going to be 2000 and the world was going to end. And then that, you know, three, two, one, the ball drops and nothing happens. And everybody's like, wow, okay. You know, wasted like energy, wasted, totally wasted energy on something that you just don't know. So why, why stress out about what's going to happen? You know, we don't know what's going to happen, you know, so be in the moment and create your perfect day or your, your not so perfect day, but just your average day that, that where you find happiness, you find those things that you want, that you desire and make it happen. Hmm. Just make it happen. You have the ability. Man, uh, I started to think about uh, when I get to go for runs, I used to say, man, I have to run. I have to run because I know I want to stay in shape. Well, then as time went on, I realized I, I had to start saying, I get to run. I can't believe I get to feel this. And you talk about breathing. I started to concentrate on my breathing as I was running. The moment you concentrate on your breathing, you forget about the pain that you're in. It is so wild. And then you start to have gratitude that you get to run and you could feel the sunshine and the perspective change is just, uh, it's just incredible. So just by shifting, you know, what you have to do, what you want to do, what you get to do, and then start to appreciate the little things that are around you. You talk about just uh, the, the little things that are, are the things that add up to the big things in the book. And uh, it is amazing how it's kind of spilled off into every part of my life. And if it's a tough client, if it's a tough, uh, if I go and have to travel somewhere to speak, it's like. I get to enjoy the travel to the airport a little bit more, the travel on the plane, because now you're just enjoying every single moment and soaking it in as much as you possibly can, simply by shifting how you perceive it. Really, really special there. But let's talk one last question about Alabama football. Why in the heck do you love it so much? Because when I think of you now, I think of Alabama, Alabama football more than anything else just in your sleep probably say roll tide at least half a dozen times <laughs> it's during our book interviews this is what we talked about alabama football hey good no pam we got to get back to the book <laughs> <laughs> well i went to alabama and i started there in 1984 and we were horrible i mean we lost our homecoming game to vanderbilt which if you know anything about football vanderbilt is you know they they keep our 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 you know our scores up our, our, our GPA goes up because of Vanderbilt, but I just fell in love with the game. And I mean, I wanted to go to Alabama. I loved Bear Bryant, you know, and he, he passed away before I started there, but was always, you know, just a fan and, you know, just continued, even though we were not good, you know, it didn't matter. It was just the, the seeing the, the people in the stands. And then my, my older daughter, Lindsay, ended up going to Alabama. And I was like, yay, I get to go back for two more games, you know, two games a season. This is great. And just going to the games and, you know, so many years later, you know, and this is, you know, obviously Nick Saban's there. So now we're really, really good. And seeing the stands and feeling the energy and just being back in Tuscaloosa, it's like no other place. It's, it's you know, besides Fiji, it is my happy place. Being in that stadium, feeling that energy, seeing my friends, seeing you know, the, the team and the way they are. And it's just, it's, it's hard to explain. It is an energy 
And to me, it is such a positive energy that it wouldn't matter if we win or lose or, you know, it's I, I love I love the game, but I love I love the team. And I, I'm just it's it's I discovered it is it is my passion. You know, passion can come in so many different ways. And some people may think it's ridiculous, but I don't care. <laughs> I love it. You know, I love it. And it's just it, it brings me joy. You know, when you talk about does it bring you joy? Does it bring you happiness? Does it serve a purpose? The answer is yes, yes and yes, it That's does. It. I love it. Roll Tide forever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, every once in a while, I'll, I'll scroll through the internet. And if there's any news about Alabama, I I'm, I have no interest in it, by the way, football or anything. But now that I know you, I'm always like, oh, what is that news? Because I, I guarantee that's making her really happy or sad. Something about, about what I'm reading here. So uh, it, your enthusiasm for it is definitely infectious. And I just think anybody out there wants to be around people who just love their life. And I see that in you. So it's been an honor to work with you. There's a lot to do with this book. There's going to be a lot of opportunities that come your way. The best way for people to get a hold of you, though, is it through Instagram? The Hypno Frog, I believe, is the uh, Instagram handle, right? Yeah, as you say, Instagram, Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, go to my website, www.myhypnofrog.com. And I've got a link to the book. I've got a link to the article that I was just featured in and all kinds of useful information. That's it. The book, Roll On to Victory, what it takes to break free from what's holding you back to start living life on your terms. Thanks so much, Pam. And always roll tide. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) 